0: Lift your eyes up, let your wives rise up, see the signs of the times if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil. When the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing. Rise up, when famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes.
1: And welcome to New Abolitionist Radio, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate on the issue of 21st century slavery, hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parthas with New Abolitionist and Actionist Johanna Nelaya and Black Talk Media Project founder Sky Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is May 25th, 2016. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. Tonight on New Abolitionist Radio, we will be joined by the Reverend Cheryl Rivera of the Northwest Indiana Federation of Interfaith Organizations. Reverend Rivera was one of the leaders in the battle to keep the Geo Group private prison company out of their community. Next, a heartbroken Bronx family says their 22-year-old son, who was serving prison time, died and was buried without them ever knowing. NY1's Dean Leminger filed the report we'll be sharing tonight. Also, while there's broad support for sweeping reforms, aptly named Arkansas Republican Senator Tom Cotton, who thinks he's king, Argued that the United States doesn't lock up nearly enough of its population and wants more prisons. We'll read that article later. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled on Monday that Georgia prosecutors discriminated on the basis of race when they excluded two black prospective jurors from serving in the trial of a black defendant facing the death penalty. This can have large ramifications, If we start challenging the tens of thousands of cases where an all white jury sent black people to prisons, keeping up with the ongoing organized and simultaneous national prison rebellions, the country faces right now, we're, we are seeing a pattern of abuse. And retribution against prison organizers seeking nothing more than human rights, dignity, and an end to prison slavery. They are in the fight of their lives, and unless we let their stories be told, no one will ever know the life and death struggles they face today. So saying... Our next story involves three men incarcerated in Massachusetts who were working with the Prison Reform Caucus of state legislators and have been thrown in solitary confinement in an apparent retaliation against their activism and an attempt to disrupt further communications. A story I'd like to cover, if time allows it, is out of uh, New York tonight. Yesterday, A U.S. District Judge, Frederick Block, EDNY, issued an extraordinary opinion explaining his decision to impose a non- prison sentence on a young woman convicted of importing cocaine based on the severe collateral consequences that she faces. While other federal courts have factored collateral consequences into the balancing of factors required by 18 U.S.C. 355A, this is the first time a court has justified its action in such detail. We have those details in his written opinion tonight. Our rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is Keith Allen Howard was released from Nottoway Correctional Facility in Burkeville, Virginia on Friday, April 8, 2016 after being wrongly convicted of the 1982 slaying of a Newport Newsman and the rape of his wife. Our abolitionist in profile is Stephen Smith, 1795 to 1873, the chairman of the African-American Abolitionist Organization in Columbia, Pennsylvania. If you have more stories from the field, we want you to call in and give us all updates, especially regarding the upcoming national prison labor strike on September 9th and the current Alabama prison labor strikes. We want to hear any divestment efforts also, so please call us at 1641 the access code is 549-032 pound. Uh expect all of that and more tonight on New Abolitionist Radio. Once again, I'm Max Parkers. What's happening? Sky Reed.
2: Hey,
1: what's up, Max? How are you today, sir? Uh, I'm I'm me, man. I, I'm burnt out. I tell you, man. I've been at the end of my rope for some time now. I'm just going on uh, ever ready buddy battery power nowadays.
2: Yeah, it, get, it gets like that, man. Um, so um, I'm just glad to be back on air, man. I've been um, thinking about New Abolitionist Radio, and I'm actually going to do a special write-up just for the contributors and, and host, um of the uh, network or Black Talk Media Project. But, you know... Um, um, New Abolitionist Radio I mistakenly thought Max that we had been doing this for five years but actually it's only been three and I know that because I went to uh, what is it New Abolitionist Radio blogspot.com that was our original home you know that was before of
1: 2012 we began
2: was it 2000? Yeah, 2012. So it's been about... about 2000, yep. Yeah, if you go there, our it, anniversary it, it anniversary. has the archives. And I still update that blog. I don't update it as often as I should, you know, but I've been trying to keep up with it lately. But, you know, our our main home is the always-has-been Black Talk Radio Network. Um, but you know, sometimes websites go down, which we've you know hackers stuff like that, and I've always maintained those blogs as a backup because you can still listen to you know Black Talk Radio on those blogs. But it, anyway, you know, uh, that time though we've been at it so hard, man, it just seems like a lot longer. You know, <laughs> yeah, it, it just really does, man, and I'm just I'm just really pleased to see. You know, um, our contributions manifest men as as the general public, if you will, um, starts using the correct language in identifying um, this as slavery. You know, um, I, I've come to the conclusion that the things we complain about, like mass incarceration, police brutality, police killings, um, judicial corruption, Um, biased juries, all-white juries, you know, if we look at the recent Supreme Court uh, decision on that death row case, um, but all of those, you know, white supremacy, racism, Jim Crow, whatever, all of those are symptoms of slavery, man. If you put it, if you put slavery, when slavery on, just looking at the North American continent, you know, for us who live here, um, if you lay out a timeline um, you will see all those other ills we talk about are symptoms of the disease of slavery you know all all of it falls under slavery uh, different tactics to keep slavery alive and um, you know same tactics to keep right on enslaving people you know so uh, and specifically black people and so you know to now starting to see the general public you know I don't know if you heard the uh, Black Talk Radio News um, program I did but one of the callers had called in from New Jersey and she's an activist herself um, down with the uh, people uh, organizing for progress under Lawrence Hame I believe or Lawrence Ham is, is his name uh, and they're in New Jersey I believe Max you might have heard of them uh, before and you know so it, it, anyway um, she had called in to say that you know cause she's right there Close to New York and on a public um, New York City radio station WBAI, if I remember the call letters correctly, had a world-renowned economist re, uh, report on the um, our brothers down there in Alabama, the Free Alabama Movement, talking about and Texas, and talking about. You know their list of demands and their grievances, and he said that they said that it was slavery. They're comparing it to slavery, and he, you know, took a look, mentioned the 13th Amendment, and he said the evidence they laying out is pretty compelling. So millions, potentially millions of people in the list in that listening audience on that New York City, you know, radio station. So we're talking potentially millions of people in that market um, uh, heard uh the thirteenth amendment mentioned and a report on prison slave rebellions and you know it being called slavery. So, you know, it's good to see the fruits of the labor because as you know, Max, this station has um at times um uh, had some of the prisoners call in and what have you uh been guest on this very program if I'm if I remember correctly so yes,
1: Before uh, Brother Kinetic went on PBS, he was on New Abolitionist Radio using a cell phone from Solitaire.
2: There you go. There you go. So I just, you know, was going to write all, all about that and just to thank the contributors, those who made financial con- contributions, however small, however uh, great, that, you know, the although we are not reaching – Uh, let's say 10 million people 30 million people a month the hundreds of thousands that we are reaching are obviously sharing this information and it's spreading because the truth tends to spread like wildfire so uh, just thank you Max and thank you to the contributors and and, uh, obviously the long time listeners and supporters of New Abolitionist Radio
1: I echo those comments Scotty Reed there's a quote from Frederick Douglass. And it's applicable It says They would not call it slavery But some other name Slavery has been fruitful In giving herself names And it will call itself By yet another name And you and I And all of us Had better wait and see What new form This old monster will assume And what new skin This old snake Will come forth Slavery is one of those things Like war
2: Prophetic man Murder prophetic you know, and, and we know Frederick Douglass was well read and he was working on constantly how do we solve this problem of slavery and I'm sure he was reading about the history and he was predicting the future they and the things that you know nothing new under the sun I mean you know that's so true despite wherever the source of that comes from I learned about that saying in the bible ain't nothing new under under the sun I think it's in proverbs or something like that but it's an absolute true statement and so he he so before the movie in the book oh uh, uh, came out slavery by another name there you have it Frederick Douglass saying that they gonna call it other names.
1: Well he lived through at least four different uh versions of slavery himself. <laughs> you right. know, just in his own lifetime he saw like four different versions of it. He saw the transfer of power from the individual being able to own people To the state doing it And denounced it later on In a full speech that he gave called I denounced this so-called emancipation As a stupendous fraud So he knew that it would come up with new names Because he was there alive as it did so uh, You know, what I was saying earlier is like slavery is one of those things Like war and murder It's going to exist You have to always have guards upon, uh, To protect you from it We haven't been able to end illegal slavery. What makes you think that it's so easy to end legal slavery, Uh, especially something so profitable that's earning somewhere near half a trillion dollars a year uh, just based on our own uh, investigations of how much money is being generated? It's just not going to fall over and die because you don't like it, but you have to recognize it's there first, and that changes your perspective. So change begins with your own mind. Hey. Change your mind about what it is you're dealing with. You're not dealing with a mistake or somebody's errors in judgment over time. You're not even dealing with prejudices or institutional race racism. You're dealing with slavery, and when you recognize that, it changes how you uh, react to it and the things you do in your life.
2: Hey, and let me also um, and give a shout out to attorney. Um, Michael Cord in Philadelphia uh, you know that's where the Democrats going to have their convention in the Wells Fargo Center you know uh, of course Debbie Wasserman Schultz she uh, definitely ain't got a problem with prison slavery and um, so you know it wasn't even in her mind should the Democrats hold their convention Um, in the hall named Wells Fargo with its historic and current connections to to slavery, you know, with that bank's uh, investment in the GO groups and correction corporations of of America and whatnot. But let me give a shout out to Michael Cord. Um, I first became aware of Michael Cord when I um came across an article on the internet. I think I was on Black Planet or something back then uh but this is when I had first got into uh uh doing a digital radio program um so I came across an article call, talking about uh, this organization called Avenging the Ancestors, and they had halted. Uh, excavation at this site I think it's uh, where the Liberty Bell is or whatever but they were going to do some building construction and stuff around there and they came across these graves and they turned out to be the enslaved victims of George Washington you know and so you know without to make a long story short uh, they fought and got honor uh, for those victims you know Uh, that's why it was so insulting for those sisters to put out that book George Washington's birthday with smiling you know uh, of slaves happy to make a cake for their enslaver you know or whatnot but Michael Cord published a got an article published in the Philadelphia Tribune I don't know what their readership is but Philadelphia is a major city and that's a major paper in Philadelphia and all throughout this article. Uh, He mentioned the 13th Amendment and how he used phrases like America allegedly abolished slavery. But the 13th Amendment said this and said that he's an attorney now. He, he, you know, been an attorney for over 20 years, uh, I I believe, and still practicing attorney. He's also a radio host. I've had the pleasure of being a guest on his program on W.U.R.D., in uh philadelphia and um i'm gonna have to go back on there because you know he told me the door is always open but he got that article in the philly uh tribune we shared it i shared it on new abolitionist radio uh facebook page and uh i believe black talk radio network as well and you know again going back to what i was saying about changing the language so thank you mr court uh, an attorney of law uh, for publishing an article, getting it published in the Philadelphia Tribune, pointing out and uh, that the 13th Amendment didn't abolish slavery.
1: Amen to that, man. Uh, you're right. There's quite a few more people who know what they're talking about have come to the same conclusion that we have. Uh, we're talking about... Constitutional attorneys uh, People who, who, this is their livelihood they're, It is up to them to know Exactly what they're talking about And they're in full agreement with us Like Sister Le, uh Levy-Pounds Who uh, is the president Of the Minneapolis uh, NAACP And is also consider, considers herself The abolitionist attorney uh, They know what we're dealing with And they're fighting right along with us To put an end to it
2: but just changing the uh, language, you know, because that is the like you know. I learned about communications from the army. I was a commu- literally that was one of my titles, communication specialist, right? Um, but the number so we talk about radio and and video, television, and all of that as weapons of warfare. They are communication, mass communication tools that are utilized as weapons so but the number one uh uh tool used in communications is your mouth is my mouth and again this was why we say it's so important that you know to become an abolitionist the very least is One, you got to read the 13th Amendment and understand what your reading says that this nation never abolished slavery. They just transformed it to uh, prison slavery. All right. And then uh, do something towards ending it. And just spreading that information, you know, and telling as many people uh, as possible in casual conversations at the water cooler or wherever you may happen to be. have you ever read the Thirteenth Amendment? Did you know that they didn't abolish you're an abolitionist that you meet my the very minimum uh uh requirements to be an abolitionist and doing abolitionist work so the uh uh don't sleep on the importance of the two uh that we each have in our voices you know and uh, continue to use those every day to spread spread the abolitionist message.
1: And our efforts are more of a corrective effort because uh, we have been conditioned to believe that this is something that it is not, and we're trying to correct that simply by using the proper words, slavery and abolition. Those are the two words that you got to start putting into this conversation. And I, I'd like to give a shout-out to Jim Risk as well, who had uh, information uh, published in the USA Today where he said, we need a national dialogue about amending the 13th Amendment. Current implications of the punishment clause should be the talk of every college course in criminal justice. It should be debated in every state legislature, and in, in the halls of Congress. Here, in the home of nearly a quarter of the world's prisoners, every American should know about the scandalous persistence of slavery in our nation's most fundamental document. Afterwards to paraphrase british abolitionist william wilberforce we can choose to look the other way but we can never say again that we did not know
2: right 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 it it spread man and so that's why gave me the ideal to just send that message to our contributors and i was going to cite you know because there was the guy of the what is it the incarcerated workers of the world he was on Russia today gave an interview and meant, and and said the 13th amendment this is slavery this is what the prisoners are saying you know uh um so it was that then there was another instance so I'm I'm like man I'm like wow man all of a sudden just a barrage of of stories mainstream and non-mainstream of people connecting that dot that all of this oppression all these different names we have for it police brutality oppression really slave catching you know uh, all of this all all of this racism white supremacy slave codes Mm -hmm. uh, slave codes that's where all that started so, you know, I, I'm just it's really exciting to be an abolitionist. And um if our guest, uh scheduled guest, Reverend Rivera, uh, is listening, uh you call in at any time. Um, we're waiting on you. The uh studio line is open, but also, you know, any listeners out there, um, y'all want to uh contribute to the conversation, uh please give us a call. Uh the conference line is six four one. Uh, seven one five thirty six sixty. The participant code is five four nine zero three two pound, and then hit star six and one to comment. All right, and the studio line is seven zero four nine five one five zero three zero. Let me get that again: seven zero four nine five one five zero three zero. So I, I'll um behind the scenes go ahead and hit up our contact and see if there's some miscommunication. But I'm excited to um, uh, speak to someone who has been identified to me as a leader in her community. Of course, I'm talking about Reverend um, Cheryl Rivera of the Northwest Indiana Federation of Interfaith Organizations. And um, she was described to me. Um, by uh, a person you know that is an activist themselves oh I think this is her calling calling now Uh, give me just a second Um, but I don't know if it's just me but you got kind
1: of a reverb going on when you're
2: talking okay I'll see if I can handle that but give me a second as I try to uh, get our uh, guest in Um, is this Reverend Rivera we have on the line
3: yes it is how are you
2: Hey, thank you for joining us. I uh, was just speaking, uh, speaker the abolitionist Max, and, and they call in. Peace and welcome to
3: the
1: Abolitionist Radio, Reverend
2: Rivera. Okay, thank you. Well, as I to finish up what I was saying to the listeners, uh, Reverend Rivera was described to me by uh, activist friend of mine as one of the leaders in the battle to keep the GEO Group private prison. Uh, corporation out of their community in Indiana um, of course our listeners you're well educated on the G.O. group we've even aired um, and gave commentary on their earnings calls their annual earnings calls so you're very familiar uh what we call the private prison and slavery group of uh, the G.O. group um, so um, it's a pleasure to speak to you, Reverend Rivera. I know we only have you for about 15 to 20 minutes, so I'm going to let Max uh, go ahead and get to his questions. And if any of the listeners out there, please don't wait. Again, we only have about 20 minutes with our guests, so give us a call at the appropriate numbers, and we'll get your questions in. Max?
1: Uh, yes, sir. Uh, indeed. Again, once again, welcome to New Abolitionist Radio, uh, hearing great things about you, and anybody that stands up against the GEO group is a uh, superhero in my book. Um, I'd like to just start out basically by asking a simple question. What does the GEO group represent to you?
2: So, while, so, if, yeah, if you want to go ahead and answer that question uh, while I try to get uh, Max on and, uh, but what does the GEO Group represent to you? Because from what I was reading and what I was told, you know, there was strong opposition to, uh, the GEO Group establishing a prison, um, or immigration detention facility in your community. So what, what, what does that company represent to you?
3: Okay. What GEO represents to me and, uh, the organization, so let me just tell you a little bit about, uh, who we are. I'm the executive director and lead organizer for the Northwest Indiana Federation of Interfaith Organizations. And we've been in this community for over 23 years um, organizing. And um, we organize across the lines of race, class, religion and geography to make sure that there is equity and opportunity for all, and particularly those that are historically left out and left behind. Um, and so as a result of that, we certainly oppose privatization uh, of public uh, dollars and, and and those that tend to exploit um, marginalized communities and marginalized peoples like uh, like ours. Uh, the GEO Group um, intended to place an eight hundred bed private for profit prison or processing center or detention center or whatever you call it is still a prison because folks could not leave uh, and come as they wanted to. Um, Targeting the largely uh, Latino community um, in East Chicago and in Northwest Indiana. Um, I live in East Chicago. This was um, supposedly the place or the site or would have been in Gary, but very near on the border of East Chicago. There's a large number of Latinos who live in East Chicago, and many of them are undocumented. Uh, they have contributed to build up this the community. They have families, they have children in schools, they have homes, they have jobs. Uh, what it represented to me and to our organization um, and the coalition of folks that were engaged with us, the Baptist ministers um, of Gary and vicinity, um, 219 Might, Black Lives Matter, um, Gary, Northwest Indiana, um, concerned citizens of Gary, concerned citizens of Hobart, the former uh, sheriff, um, um, Roy Dominguez, uh, Tony Barberetta of the UBM, the organization that represents Mexicans in this region the League of United Latin American Citizens, um, Indiana and the Midwest. Those were all of the folks, the organization and leadership that was involved. Um, What it represented was um, really exploitation and uh, new slavery. And so our position was, I felt very strongly about this in our organization, that a city like Gary, that's um, 85 to 90% um, African-American with our own history of slavery and Jim Crow and mass incarceration and continuing to suffer from racism, systemic racism and structural um, inequities, must have no part of terrorizing and profiteering from detention and enslavement and deportation of immigrants in our community, we have our own history um, of that, and so as an African American who grew up in the Deep South in southeastern Georgia, um, it it did not taste good at all to me. Um, it 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 smacks of of slavery, uh, making people a commodity, detaining and imprisoning people for profit. That's what happened to us placing people on the auction block um, so that that it, it is very distasteful. It's very harmful. It, it's disgusting that um, we would participate in trying to rebuild um, and revitalize a community on the backs of a slavery industry. And that's what GEO represented to us. It still represents that to us. I think that uh, we need to rid our our country of these for-profit uh, prisons and these for-profit immigrant detention centers. Um, they ought to have no place in our community.
2: Um, I just love your answer. I think we finally got um, able to get Max, our uh, main host, on. Max, are you there?
1: Yes, sir. I'm sorry you didn't hear me earlier, but uh, welcome to New Abolitionist Radio, Reverend Rivera. Thank you for being here. Um, Anybody that stands up against a giant like the GEO group is a superhero
2: in my book. Max, Max, you would have loved the answer to the question because she said the GEO group represents not only to her, but uh, people in her coalition uh, represent slavery. And, you know, mm-hmm. also being an African descended person and in our history in this country with that. And, um, she talked about how they were targeting the Latinos, you know, and, and I've come across Africans in America, however they classify themselves, who said that that's not our problem, you know, them, uh, um, and she used the term slavery, you know, enslaving mm-hmm. them um you know any more than it would be right to enslave us so I, I can't separate the you know the people on that slavery is wrong so that that's you know the short answer uh i i was like i'm i'm blown away by that so uh thank you reverend rivera uh for standing up uh in that community now what was some of the opposition i was reading this article that was saying that the geo group had even paid counter protesters against y'all
3: oh yes that um absolutely uh, well that that is the tactics of uh g e o to try to um try to organize a fringe a fringe um element um I think that part of the other thing that they thought very honestly is that black folk would not care about what happened to brown people um they did not understand for us that it was in fact moral and social and economic. Uh, spiritual Um, and so that it would matter to us they were able to get a few folks it it was quite interesting Uh, a few people who didn't even understand what they were doing and why they were there and they were in fact paid and some of them admitted uh, that they were in fact being paid but it was a small fringe uh, group of, 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 of folks but it was no match for the masses of people and the Legitimate organizations, uh, and when I say that, um, you know, like the Baptist um, Ministers Conference or the Federation, these organizations that have been around for decades. The Urban League signed on. The NAACP. So I'm saying that we have a number of, of of organizations from the community. And whenever we went to a community to a council meeting, there were numbers of folks—twenty, thirty people, as many as they would allow who were opposed to GEO and one or two people who were for it. And those were folks who had been paid and, and had admitted that they were, in in fact, paid. But lobbying is what GEO does. You know, that they spend millions of, of dollars lobbying. So it was not unusual for them to hand out a little cash. Um, and as a matter of fact, they even uh, attempted to, to bribe, if you want to call it that, they attempted to bribe the Baptist ministers conference when they were in session, and I can say this because Mm -hmm. it was reported publicly at one of the council meetings that, in fact, they had taken a check of $15,000 to the Baptist minister's revival and attempted to yes, GEO and and, uh, uh, attempted to present that to them Um, and they said it was for scholarships of course, the president said, take it back they were not going to take it because they understood what was happening and what they wanted to do because they had been talking to several ministers about about the jobs, okay? And so this is what they often do to try to confuse folks who have high poverty and high, and high rates of joblessness in our community. Um, and so they attempted to, to even bribe the Baptist Minister's Conference with a $50,000 check, and they said, take it back. We don't want it. We don't want it, um, and so uh, it's not unusual. because GEO spends millions of dollars um, lobbying Obvious. politicians. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so Between listen, 2002 it's not and unusual.
1: 2010, they spent almost fifty million dollars lobbying Congress alone.
3: Exactly. Just exactly. Right. You know. So it's not uh, unusual. And when you come to a community like Gary, which we uh, say that the the Unemployment rate is 40%. I know they say what the state says is about 125 but we know that they're only counting people who get unemployment checks. We are, we are then quoting the mayor who quotes it as that rate, and we know it is that high as 40% unemployment. And the Federation has been involved in a jobs campaign to make sure that those who are cut out get cut in. But those were not the kind of jobs. We don't need jobs that uh, black folks are involved in being um, overseers, okay, because what I said to people is slaves had jobs, okay, and overseers had jobs. Mm -hmm. We don't need that kind of industry to try to rebuild our community. They do not fit. We don't want them in this community in Northwest Indiana. We don't want them anywhere.
1: I'm in a com- complete agreement with you uh, on that attitude. Creating overseer jobs is not helping the community. It's a- actually pushing them further into uh, poverty, and to crime rates. And as long as they have these quotas that the police have now, and the prisons have quotas, they're going to just keep making it seem like they need more cops and they'll keep putting all this money into policing and, which and, ends and, up, uh, and appreciating also, the environment and sending the people to prison
2: also on uh, the point of the jobs thing. um of uh, reverend um we've talked to and among our listening audience is former prison prison guards and some of them said they came to the realization that you know this was slavery it wasn't right Um, But on the other hand, there have been a number of uh, people who say that, um, academic scholars who say that it has a harmful impact on the prison guards themselves being locked in.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, That was one of the things that we also stress is that we were aware of of those um, who suffer post-traumatic stress as a result of that. And because of the conditions with GEO cutting uh, staff in in order to make a dollar and the the um, correctional officers or the prison guards are not uh, properly trained they're not properly trained so they're placed um, at risk it was also a concern about all of the human rights violations and all of the civil rights violations and the rape and murder and mayhem that goes on in geo facilities um, for the sake of a dollar um, and 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 the other thing is that we wanted to make the connection between mass incarceration of of black folk and brown folk and immigrant detention. We can't separate mm-hmm. those things and so we have to help people connect the dots that it is people of color disproportionately because we know that sixty seven percent of the of the folks the GEO lock up, period, and have in their facilities are black and brown. Um we wanted folks to understand that this is about folks making money, okay, treating folks as commodity, folks who have been historically cut out, people who are marginalized, and people who have already been disenfranchised. So why would we participate in that at all? There's no reason.
1: When you start looking at the statistics, you're in Indiana, right?
3: Yes, I'm in Indiana,
1: yes. We do a series, or we've done a research series called America is Ferguson, where we look at each state individually and the relationships with the prisons and the police and how they use it for profit. And uh, one of the things about Indiana is you only have a 13% African American population, but they're being arrested per 100,000 at almost six to one versus mm-hmm. their white counterparts. So it's mm-hmm. not even like it's a 50-50 thing. 13% represents a five to one Ratio or six to one ratio, which is absolutely outrageous. And Hispanics are going at 1.3 to one versus mm-hmm. the whites. Every 2,526 black people that are arrested in Indiana, there are 463 white, but whites represent 84% or 87% of the population.
3: Absolutely. Uh, uh, absolutely. So we know very clearly who the targets are. Uh, And I think it's incumbent upon us to continue to help um, us connect the dots between folks who are being targeted. You know, it's extremely important that African Americans connect the dots, that in fact, if we realize that the same folks who are the adversaries of the immigrants are the same folks who are the adversaries of black folks. It's It's the same one. It's the same one. Those are not the folks taking our jobs. The folks that are taking our jobs are the corporations who have sent our jobs overseas. Those are the folks who have taken our jobs, okay, who have outspoken. Or into the prison, because the people who operate prisons that actually have employee slave labor. Absolutely, absolutely. And those who have locked up our folks, those are the adversaries. It's not the immigrants. Those are not our adversaries.
2: One last question, um, uh, Reverend. And before you leave us, please tell people how they can get in touch with you, connect with your organization online, any information you um, um, would like to give out. But um, Max, did you have a final question?
1: Uh, well, yes, I, I'd like to add something. I am apologize for the technical difficulties that limited our chance to discuss these issues with you, and I hope that we get the chance to speak with you further as allies here on New Abolitionist Radio in this fight that we have together. What I would like, though, is to ask you if you can start incorporating the language of abolition into your argument. Uh, we want to end this system of uh, slavery and human trafficking and reform seems to be the only option people are being offered either reform or no reform but there is a third option and it's abolition we start with the 13th amendment then we move on to all private and for profit prisons and ban them from this country absolutely Absolutely Thank you very much. Absolutely. Max absolutely Max, I know you, you got much, cut man. off. We appreciate you being
2: here. I, I appreciate and I have one last question, but Max, I think when you listen back to the podcast to uh what you got cut off from cause of our technical issues, you will find that the Rev Rev Reverend, uh Already Rivera <laughs> was using that language. Uh
3: I Purpose.
2: Using that language. Oh, yeah, already. It,
3: it, is a, it, it is slavery, and we need uh, to continue to educate folks about GEO and how GEO and Africa all connected, and all of this truth and sentencing and three strikes, you're out. All of that legislation, all of that is designed to enslave our people. And so, absolutely, I, I agree with everything that you're saying. We're going to continue this fight. We do believe that legislation needs to be changed so that we, we ban and we get rid of the for-profit prison industry. Yeah, that's what we need to do. That's and and
2: do. My, my last question um, is a good segue from what you just said is, do you feel like this issue of slavery has been adequate, adequately Address during this presidential uh, campaign season with, you know, politics being, um, you know, so focused on primarily right now with this, this uh, uh, November election coming up. So, um, have, I mean, what are your thoughts on the...
3: Oh, no, it has not. No, it has not. It has not been adequately addressed. I think it is incumbent upon th- th- those of us who understand of the issue first of what we have to do is to educate our communities we have to begin to educate our communities, in groups, in congregations, in in every opportunity, and that's one of the things that we're going to continue to do, to help people understand the uh, the plan. Okay, that that has occurred. That this whole movement around for profit prisons is the new slave industry. Mm-hmm. That in fact they intend to keep our folks locked up. To destabilize and dismantle communities of color because they don't want to see what will happen in 2050 when the majority of the folks in this country are people of color. If you can lock them up, you can keep them from voting, and you can deport them, then America will not be what America already is. People can avoid that reality. But I do not believe that adequate attention has been given during this this uh, primary season to the conditions of poverty, to the conditions of mass incarceration. To just mention it in a segue does not address the critical needs of the community and the harm that it is causing to our community. So our organizations, we are continuing to work on that and we're planning now how we can continue to educate folks in our community to connect the dots between mass incarceration, mass uh, immigrant detention and deportation and the mass unemployment and the poverty in our communities and so, solutions. And
1: and, representative of the church, you really have made me happy because with the church starting to get behind this movement, that can happen. We can educate people simply using the church because this is something that the Lord wants. He wants you to be free.
2: I mean I mean uh, the church has always played a historical role in abolition in this country, you know. Um so so yes. Um, before you go, uh, Reverend Rivera, again, thank you for your time. Would you give out um, your web address? How can people, if they want to support the efforts of okay. the organization, what what? How can they contact you?
3: I would. They can contact me. Uh, this is Northwest Indiana Federation of Interfaith Organizations. I'm going to give you our uh, communications, uh, chair. The, uh, that is Carolyn McCready, and her number is 219-484-5726. And the email is R as in Robert, Y as in UA5 at Comcast.net, or they can email me directly at Rev, that's R E V dot Rivera, R I V E R A at live.com again that's Rev.Rivera R-E-V, R-I-V as in Victor E-R-A at live.com and they will get me directly
2: Well, uh, congratulations on the um, battle win in this long war to end slavery once and for all, for real, this time in this country. And we hope to have you back on. You've truly been um, a morale booster for me tonight. So thank you. And you have a
3: great night. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye.
1: Man, Sister inspires me uh, on so many levels especially regarding representing the church, to know that the church is starting to get behind this issue boosts me as well, Scotty. Uh, Is Johan in here by any chance?
2: Um, No. Um, Man, we've really been having some communication issues. I'm going to try at this time. I I might have mistakenly called the Reverend back. Uh, I'm going to try at this time to try to get back in the conference line, but it wasn't picking up. Uh, my keystrokes to dial into the conference line, and and you said you this couldn't hear her. This service is
1: provided in high definition by free conference call HD.com. Please enter your access code See, followed by the This It's not account. reading, man. Skype is
2: tripping. Uh, the conference line, I, I can try it again. Um, use the flag. This is why we need
1: for those million dollar donations like uh, Brian Stevenson got so we can get the right equipment and and things that we need to keep this going strong and steady and clear
2: yeah I mean in that case you could set up a server you know but you had to have like a business line uh ISP uh account and you set up a server and you put the conference call software on that server and you run everything um, you know from there but problems like this still can occur Um, it, it really can man that's just the nature of you know technology and software and all that stuff but I'm going to try to get uh, back in there, but, you know, um, if All not. Right.
1: Should, should I go over the story while you do that? Or, or do you, yeah, you yeah, just, yeah,
2: while well, I'm doing that, man, but you might hear something, though.
1: This service is provided okay. in high uh, definition by, by and free conference <laughs> call HD.com. Um, Q&A so session started. I'm going to read stories you can, so we'll take advantage of whatever this minutes have. This conference time, is being uh, recorded. First one I want to talk about, well, what's happening out in the Bronx, which really is not uncommon when you think about it. Uh, The headlines say exclusive Inmate died in prison Was buried before his Bronx family Was notified And this is from New York 1 And it's a heartbreaking story This happens far too often Where people are dying in these prisons And they don't even bother to call the family Or try to find the family They just go ahead and bury them In some unmarked grave somewhere And you could just google up And see some of the imagery Of these unmarked graves Nonetheless here the story says a heartbroken bronx family says the 22 year old son who was serving prison time died and was buried without them ever knowing new york one's dean memiger filed the following report with tears rolling down his face lonnie hamilton said he's living a nightmare his namesake died in prison and was even buried without the family knowing it and this is a conversation that they have in print where it says hamilton I want to know why my son is dead. I want to know why you buried him without asking me. I want to know why we weren't allowed to properly send him off. Meminger says, where is your son's body? And Hamilton answers simply, I don't know. Lonnie Hamilton, 22, was doing time at Marcy Correctional Facility outside of Syracuse. He was convicted in the Bronx of robbery His family says they tried to reach him for several weeks and then decided to send him a letter. Looking for his prison's address on May 6th, they went on the state's correctional website. They were shocked to see he was listed as deceased. He died on March 18th. Wow, that's a hell of a way to find out that your child is dead at 22. I'm thinking this can't be right. It has to be some sort of typo Or joke or whatever So we start reaching out to the facility His father says Days later, they finally say he is deceased As he was already buried In a cemetery near the prison They just buried the man On prison property State Corrections tells New York One It made several Unsuccessful attempts to reach The inmates next of kin His father, they say The phone number didn't work Correction says it also searched Hamilton's belongings, for contacts, but couldn't find any. They also reached out to police in Georgia where Hamilton was originally from. His father says he is easy to find because he lived in the Bronx for many years, and that's where his son was arrested. He was picked up from my doorstep. They knocked on my door, said, is your son here? And he was taken out of my home. He said, so they know where I live." They have nothing of writing at all to date that says their son is deceased. They have no autopsy report of how their son died. They don't know anything to the Reverend Kevin McCall of the National Action Network. The family says they were unofficially told their son committed suicide, but they find that hard to believe they want his body exhumed and they want their own autopsy done. They are also calling on an independent investigation. And that's the conclusion of that story.
2: Wow, man, I I tell you, man, it's perilous on these prison plantations, It's perilous, man, I mean, wow, and so I I just really feel for the family, man, you know, having relatives, and, you know, I got some, at least one high school friend, he's in prison now, and, um, so, uh, you trying to find your relative, you, you know, they call every Sunday or try to call or something, uh, send you a letter and all of a sudden the communications is gone and you can't get any information from the prison. And, and then, I mean, you really are, are worried through that whole process. You start thinking the worst and then, uh, it turns out to be the worst case scenario. They've murdered um um your family member and then just buried them and just gonna act like the person didn't even exist wow
1: and a 22 year old boy i mean imagine that being your only son either made either he made a mistake or a wrong was done to him however it happened he ends up in prison at 22 years old and then you find out through some kind of a website that he's dead And nobody ever bothered to tell you. And then they give you an unofficial report of how he killed himself at 22 years old in prison. That's a damn shame, man. And it's just too often that this suicide in prison trick has been going on. And now they're burying this young man without ever finding any family members out in the back behind the prison, basically, which is where they put him, in an unmarked grave behind the prison. Nobody knew until now And they still uh, are not giving this family Any kind of respect They're looking at it like, you know what, he's a prisoner So his life don't matter And that means by default, since you're his parents Your life don't matter So just step And whatever we tell you is good enough, period It's a damn shame, Scotty Well, there's your first story, man Uh, Any luck getting together with the conference call?
2: Uh yeah, I I don't understand what the issue is and why you weren't able to uh, hear her, but everything seemed to be working fine. You know, Skype communicating with. I, I the I think because she was on your line. Uh, the
1: other, it's not the
2: conference call, so she probably couldn't hear the conference call. No, I ne- never mind. <laughs> it's not important. Let's move okay, okay. on, man. But I tried to reach out to Johanna, and I think he did. Uh. Uh call in there, but um I don't know um so I hit him on facebook but let's let's move on
1: all right. well, we can go into the next story here today, and you know let me give you these stories so you can see living breathing examples of what's going on and and the patterns that appear and how often these things occur all over the country. On a regular basis And now we want to show you one of the stories Who tells you who's behind this I mean who sits up in some kind of legislator's office And says you know what we need more prisons These people are just criminals And we don't have enough prisons And we need more prisons Who would say something like that Well I'm going to tell you who would say something like that Senator Tom Cotton Republican out of Arkansas He's uh, they're labeling him as a far right senator Who demands vastly larger U.S prison population personally i just think he's a white racist supremacist who's probably in bed with private prisons just like the clintons and that's why he's saying what he's saying because he really don't care about human life but particularly lives that don't look like his let me read you some of this story when making the pitch for criminal justice reform last year president obama emphasized just how unique the issue is partisans and ideologues May not agree on much in these divisive times, but there's broad agreement on overhauling the costly and ineffective status quo. Man, y'all yeah, just use buckets and buckets of words, don't you? <laughs> okay, anyway. This is a cause that's bringing people in both houses of Congress together. Obama told the NAACP, it's created some unlikely bedfellows. You got Van Jones and Newt Gingrich. You got Americans for Tax Reform and the ACLU. You've got the NAACP and the Koch brothers. That's good news. There is, however, bad news. While there's broad support for sweeping reforms, far right opponents haven't given up the fight to derail the entire initiative. In fact, as Politico reported, one right wing Senator argued yesterday that the United States doesn't lock up enough people, of its, enough of its population. Senator Tom Cotton on Thursday slammed his colleagues' efforts to pass sweeping criminal justice reform, saying the United States is actually suffering from an under-incarceration problem. Cotton, who has been an outspoken critic of the bill in Congress that will reduce mandatory minimum sentences, smacked down what he called baseless arguments that there are too many offenders locked up for relatively small crimes that incarceration is too costly or that we should show more empathy towards those caught up in the criminal justice system. Speaking at the Hudson Hudson Institute, a conservative think tank, the Arkansas Republican argued in all seriousness, take a look at the facts. First, The claim that too many criminals are being jailed, that there is over-incarceration, ignores an unfortunate fact. For the vast majority of crimes, a perpetrator is never identified or arrested, let alone prosecuted, convicted, and jailed. Law enforcement is able to arrest or identify a likely perpetrator for only 19% of property crimes and 47% of violent crimes. If anything, Cotton argued, we have an under incarceration problem. I don't even want to read no more of this man. <laughs> I don't even want to read it sounded like he goes to the same school that David Clark goes to. The school of white supremacist slavers.
2: Uh, man. All the- uh I'll just say something that you had uh you had posted something on Facebook, uh, something about no union with slavers.
1: No Union with Slaveholders. It's a document from uh, The Liberator, which was written by William Lloyd Garrison, where he came to the conclusion, just like I've come to the same conclusion, that you can't negotiate with your enemy. You can't negotiate with psychopaths and sociopaths who are enslaving you. You must hold them responsible or separate yourself from them because you can neither live with them nor negotiate with them.
2: Well, there ain't no separating yourself nowhere on this planet. Um, you know, I, I think <laughs> with if you look at the United States military's reach, the CIA's reach, I mean, freak, they got FBI and DEA in Africa. So there there is no separating um of yourself from anyone, you know, they right. reach out and tell you. So the
1: alternative is hold them responsible.
2: Yeah, so that's hold the only point. Well, what does them holding try. them responsible look like though? You know, what what does that uh, look like? It may not look the same it would look to
1: like you. The Nuremberg trials.
2: Well, you know like the Nuremberg that trials. that's going to have to a scenario for that to happen will have to play out like that um um, I don't know what you would call it or essay you wrote the day slavery yeah. ended that would have to occur and so that is why it is incumbent upon us and many other people to conduct media operations that would convince members of the United States military uh, to arrest these slavers and put them on trial and hold new elections and you know stuff Max talked about in that piece
1: Indeed. Uh, I'll, I'll share that before the night is out so people can see. Uh, it is a, a what-if essay, and it's titled The Day Slavery Ended. Because people are always talking about, you know, when slavery ended. So I gave a good example of what it would look like if slavery actually ended and how it would probably come to pass. Uh, I wrote that in 2013, I believe. And yeah, I'll share it with you tonight.
2: So you're going to share it tonight? But,
1: yeah, I'll, I'll find it. It's in my notes on my page, and I'll find it while we're going over to some of the stories and put it out there for everyone to see it tonight. But it's just a what-if of how it has, would have to come across, because you've got a lot of these slavers who are in positions of very high power, and they don't want to go to prison, just like the Germans didn't want to be prosecuted for their crimes. Yeah, like Hillary Clinton. To hold them
2: responsible. Like Hillary Clinton, like Bill Clinton, like Henry Kissinger, like, um, you know, uh, the whole Bush family. Um, You know, we go on and on and on And name the names and, and what have you
1: Right, right And if we don't hold them responsible They're only going to continue with the same thing Figuring, I got away with it last time <laughs> So I might as well do it Worse this time So it's just only going to get worse And we have to hold these people responsible For their crimes against humanity What they're doing is criminal And, it, and they should be charged with these crimes Particularly like a Hillary Clinton The GEO Group, who our guest was talking about tonight, only exists as it does today because of the Clintons. In 1994, when Wackenhut went public as Wackenhut Corrections, that was in direct relation with the crime bill being pushed by the Clintons at the time. And within a short span of only four years, their stocks, uh, I believe it was 2 million shares was initially given out, had multiplied tenfold. That's how this whole prison system, the way we see it today, started. And now the GEO group, group is the largest employer in the entire continent of Africa, as far as private employers are concerned.
2: That's a hell of a lot of growth. network yeah, it is. Talk radio network is made yes, possible if you can, can hear me. From the Black Talk Media Project. A North Carolina based nonprofit engaged in the production and distribution of independent digital black media. Find out more by going to Black Radio Network.com or Black Talk and look for the menu tab Crowdfunding Black Media. Black Talk Media Project helping to provide you with new black media for the new millennium. You are tuned in to Black Talk Radio, the new black media for the new millennium.
1: Hey, Scotty, do you have this story available? Uh, would you like to cover it?
2: It's on New Abolitionist Radio
1: yes sir and i'm a, I'm going to post it right now on the new abolitionist uh radio page for all our listeners to be able to
2: get a hold of it okay it and um okay, let me see what we got here the Supreme Court rules prosecutors violated the Constitution when excluding black jurors. look, I don't even need to read the article. I could just tell you um about the case all right so this is this is involved in a black male um who was uh said to I don't need the race of the of the victim the alleged victim is immaterial doesn't matter if she was black doesn't matter if she was white somebody was killed and he got convicted for it but as they were picking the jurors for his trial they were writing like the letter b i guess that stands for black um and the letter n uh y'all want to take a guess what n stand for Okay, and wrote those letters next to all the names of the black jurors. So, you know, um, then also highlighted the names in green. So these were targeted people, black people targeted to keep them off of the jury because um, they know. Uh, the prosecutors know that black people might have empathy for other black people or they might give them a, a quote unquote so-called fair uh, objective trial and weigh all the evidence like they're supposed to. But, um, you know, they, I mean, this goes back to the slave codes of Virginia or whenever the colonies started practicing racism and white supremacy and prohibiting even free black people. I mean, how free can you be if you don't got no rights? um you know excluding them from the jury pool so that's what happened in this in this case is uh they excluded all the black people from the jury and the supreme court heard the case and they uh, reversed it saying that you know the prosecutors the court was practicing racism um it, and you know technically It was a violation. They said uh, Timothy Foster had argued that the exclusion of African-Americans from the jury tasked with weighing his case violated the Constitution, which prohibits states from using what are known as preemptory strikes to leave out jurors because of their skin color. All right, because the way that it is, for those who aren't familiar with the way the court uh um, system work or when you go in court for the slave blocks and what have you um you know each the defense attorney and the prosecutor has a number of of challenges that they can use to strike anybody from the jury okay they can they can strike them because of you know whatever but they're not supposed to strike them because of race or anything like that um. So they did, and the evidence. See, this is one of them cases where you have evidence. Okay, they left a paper trail, and that paper trail was a list of jurors. Max, we getting a? I'm hearing a lot of background noise off of your line uh for some reason. I don't know what that is, but um, okay. Um, but. So, um, you're not supposed to use race as a reason, but they left a paper trail. You know, they had a piece of paper with the jurors' names, and again, they highlighted black people's name in green, wrote B or N next to them. I take a stab, what, black and Negroes or something? I, I don't know. Um, um, but anyway, the Supreme Court ruled seven to one, um, and I talked about this the other day on BTR news. Uh, old Clarence Thomas being a single person on the Supreme Court who ruled, who dissented and, and voted against, uh, saying that this guy's rights was violated. The picking of his jury was unconstitutional. Now, let me address something else and then, uh, Max can give his comments and any other listeners out there, y'all can, you know, chime in as well. Um, but. Uh, you know um, this question came up I saw on social media and somebody was saying like well this old woman you know was brutally murdered and what not and I think this dude did it and whatnot." so you know I don't know why you know people celebrating this or, or you know people think this was the correct thing to do and my reply to that was this wasn't about his innocence or guilt it's not about whether or not um, um, he was convicted on the evidence or not. It, 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 that's not the issue. The issue is the process, the way that the system runs. So this was a ruling against the system uh, uh, in Georgia okay that's what that that's what that was a ruling against the system saying that uh, without a doubt they was practicing racism because we got the paperwork showing them writing B's and n's next to the black prospective jurors' names and then they used all their you know uh 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 um um uh, power to strike people from the jury the challenges that they got um you know to strike black people and then this dude ended up with an all white jury okay. Um so um and and like I discussed on BTR News, that kinda was like local to North Carolina and this also could have applications all over. Well it does have applications all over. Um, the nation and the territories and the colonies of USA Inc. Uh, because North Carolina had a Racial Justice Act that was passed before the Republicans took total control of the state legislature, uh, le- legislation, and, and what have you. Um, and they repealed the Racial Justice Act, but it allowed uh, death row inmates to challenge. You know their convictions and their placement on death row or you know through by the same thing if if black people was targeted to keep them off the jury to stack it with with potential potentially white supremacists and racists and what have you, then you know this is in violation of the principles that we hold most sacred and it's in our sacred documents and all that jazz and what have you so Um this could have why it should have, I shouldn't say could, it should have widespread implications on death row cases, um, you know, uh in the in the in the states and the courts. And that was Thomas uh Clarence Thomas' argument, this a state issue. You know, he wanna argue the state's rights, you know, issue the same thing as people try to say the Confederacy was about. It's all about slavery. So Clarence Thomas, you know, um again just shows why so many people hold him in contempt.
1: Yes, sir. Um, Well, we have reported here that in recent years uh, lawyers lawyers have been using preemptory strikes at a rate three times higher than it was in the last decade. So they're doing this a lot more often. We just want to make it clear and this is a, a constitutional issue now, that it's not okay to have an all-white jury under any circumstance for a person who is not white, <laughs> particularly by African Americans. But you'd see how that rings too much with history? It, it don't dawn on you, like you got an all-white jury and you got a black woman or a black man or a black child on trial, and you think that's okay? No, that is not okay. Just like it's not okay to have a 95% white prosecutor, uh, prosecutorial pool. That's not okay either. When you're sending primarily people of color to prisons and 9 out of 10 of your prosecutors are white, that's not okay. And I don't know what makes people think it's okay or constitutional. It is strictly race-based. And as Scotty mentioned, as you mentioned earlier, it wasn't about this person, whether he did it or not, or the brutality of the crime. It's about the system itself. And how it's working. This is what Judge Olu Stevens is going through in Kentucky where he stood up against this type of Yeah,
2: Yeah, Max, I was just thinking that I was going to wait for you to uh, finish up, but I was going to ask you that question. Do you think this could have applications to his case, Judge Stevenson? I mean, it's the same thing. This is what he was fighting against and now the Supreme Court, we could say, vindicated him with this decision.
1: I guess you could say the Supreme Court did vindicate him, but we knew he
2: was right. He knows he's right. It's those but who are standing against in, him. In legal terms, wrong. this could help his case because yeah. they're trying to disbar him and probably throw him into yeah. slavery or something.
1: And all because he stood up against these all-white juries. He thought that it, it was unfair to have a all-white jury pool where the lawyers have selectively chosen white people to try a African-American in a state or even a county that has a large African-American presence. So, yeah, it could hold applications for him. And in my mind, it can hold applications for anybody that's out there that has been tried by an all-white jury. I mean, if we started doing that with black people, how do you think they would act? You get all these white people in there and it's an all-black jury every
2: time. My, they, my, my brother had an a all-white okay? jury. My baby brother had an all-white jury. They ain't even had no evidence. Said that he had broken to this man's trailer and stole some jury and a big flow model TV. And all. How one person able to do that, I don't know. But um, even said that the man came home, got into a shootout, and it was blood on the floor and the assailant had been shot. They the stupid newspaper here even had my brother's name in there as being shot. Obviously, my brother had not been shot. Uh, Seriously, I mean, and I'm and guess where I was, off serving my so-called country while they was putting my little brother into slavery. You know, Um, but he had all white jury, no evidence whatsoever okay none no evidence that they recovered from a pawn shop or something like that something with his fingerprints no no forensic evidence no blood match you know because somebody got shot allegedly and all this and that and 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 that's what happened all white jury uh with a white judge um and um I wasn't here to tell you if any other bailiffs was black I again um was in I think I had n- recently gotten out of boot camp or something or AIT advanced individual training. But that yeah man, all white jury happened to my brother.
1: Yeah, it's it's just not okay. Uh the Sixth Amendment says that you have a right to a speedy trial by a jury of your peers. The jury of your peers would imply that these are people who are treated like you equally under the law. That is not the case at all. And we know that simply by the fact that 95% of all prosecutors are white. That stands as testimony that you don't get a fair shake right there. If the structure of our justice system is predominantly white, then how is it possible that an all white jury is a jury of your peers? And we're talking about the pink unicorn called the Sixth Amendment because we know it doesn't exist. Only 5% of cases actually get a trial nowadays. 96, 96% of all federal felony cases, plea bargains. 94% of all state felony cases, plea bargains. Backroom deals that have nothing to do with courts at all. They're just negotiations between lawyers that leave judges sitting there issuing out these mandatory sentences.
2: Well, you know, this all reminds me, though, of this issue had come up before, you know, with the whole Michael Brown thing and the whole grand secret grand juries and all of this and that. And one of the proposals that I made to, what is it, Campaign Zero uh, offshoot of Black Lives Matter, Delray McKesson, and others was part of that. And, you know, early on, you know, I had submitted a proposal to them that we made that uh, issue of empathy testing for the jury pools not just cops but empathy testing and and what have you because you know um and and then i wouldn't even say just putting more black people on the jury ain't gonna solve the problem well i mean hell if you got a black president right now how's that helping Alright, so, so, you know, obviously just putting black people on the jury, we don't know what the mindset of these black people are. They might have, you know, uh, suffered from terrible brainwashing all their lives and, 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 and actually, you know, believe in the whole red, white, and blue and, and all that kind of crap. But, um, um, people should be tested, man, to see, they have these tests to see if they can actually be quote unquote fair and objective. You know, and if, and if, you know, they empathize with, with police too much or too little or empathize with poor people or you, you know what I'm saying? These are all things that they have tests for, man. And we should be more as a society, uh, society based on justice should be more selective in who it gives the power to send people into slavery or or sentence people to death now obviously i'm about abolishing slavery but i'm being i'm talking in terms of when there's crime i do feel like there's got to be punishment somebody raised my daughter i'm gonna kill them you know what i'm saying and so if we want to go back to you know uh um frontier justice as they used to call it then you know uh we do need to have courts in place to you know try people for murder rape things like that uh, uh but in terms of these non-violent victimless crimes all of that is is to keep putting people in in, in slavery so um if if people had that power which a jury does i think we ought to be more selective about uh, who we allow on those juries as a society and there's a number of tests that could be employed to that end, to those ends, psychological testing.
1: You know how often I hear people uh, people European descent say, I have never experienced racism so I can't tell you how it feels uh, because I'm not subject to it I can only empathize. You know how often you hear things like that? So how the hell do you expect to judge somebody? How the hell you expect to have twelve just like you who don't know what racism is, have never experienced it, can't relate, they can only empathize? How can you expect to be a peer judging along eleven other people just like you? I mean, one but person who was African American.
2: That's that's garbage. Hmm? That's garbage. And I know some black people or non-white people who would agree that white people don't know what it is to, you know, uh, what it feel like and all, all of that. I don't buy into all of that. Um, we know everybody knows what mistreatment is. Uh, everybody either has been on the receiving end of mistreatment or they have mistreated somebody. So let's not add like people don't know what mistreatment is. I mean, they even put you in jail for mistreating animals and whatnot. Well, that's all, that's all, uh, 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 racist attitudes and, and things of that nature where you mistreating someone based on the level of melanation. In their skin, the texture of their hair for being different than you. You still know, so I, you know, a person knows what it's like to be mistreated. Well, you know, so for them to say, well, at like they're so mystified or racism is so complex. Uh, no, it's a form of mistreatment based on skin color. It ain't that complex Systemic to understand. History. Yeah, it, yeah. Ain't, it ain't that complex to understand. You know exactly what you're doing. Because, see, then you're giving them room to say something like, well, if I don't know what racism is because I've never experienced it, then how would I know if I'm practicing it? See, you see what I'm saying, man? Don't fall for that. They know exactly I, I what, you're what
1: they're I'm doing. Just, I'm just saying the argument that I've heard so many times. Yeah, and I'm talking people, about them. I'm talking no to them. Order.
2: I'm talking to them. I understood what you're saying, and I'm, that's what I'm saying. If somebody said that to me, don't, you know, just, just stop with the games. Uh, area code 754. Area code 754. You're on New Abolitionist Radio Max, and uh, Scotty here. Uh, go ahead with your question or comment. 754.
4: What's going on, fellas? This uh,
2: this Sam from Boyne. What's going on, Scotty? What's going on, Matt? Hey, what's going on, man? Can you uh, speak up just a little, a little bit if you're if you're able? You
4: can hear me. I can't
2: can hear a better word better now? Say you that again. Can
4: you hear me better
2: mm-hmm. now? Give, give, I can hear you. Max is saying he can't hear you. You are coming in a little Uh-oh. low. Uh, try it again. Go uh-huh. ahead. Uh, uh,
4: uh, uh, can you hear me better now? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay, okay, okay. You can hear me, Max? Okay. Um. Yeah, I agree. I agree, Scotty. But uh, somewhat I don't agree. And only I agree with everything you said, but I kind of, I don't know, I, I kind of feel like they have a different mentality <laughs> over the generations. I'm, I'm kind of being facetious, but I'm, uh, well, at I'm, I'm a static being with, <laughs> with, with with their mentality. Like, they don't. They don't under they. How can I put this? The mistreatment of people that don't look like them is is almost not seen as mistreatment to them. It's like a privilege. It's a privilege to mistreat people. Therefore, it can't be mistreatment. That's just what I get from talking to them. I get from being around them. Their mannerisms. Their how they go about with you know their lives, their, their daily plans and stuff. They
2: don't actually believe that they're mistreating. Man, stuff is just kind of haywire tonight. Max, give us a call back on that, that uh conference line, and I'm going to get off of Skype because Skype is acting up, man. If you can't hear him, uh all my stuff is registering like you should be able to hear him. So try the conference line again, Max. All right, all right Uh give me just a second. We're going to go ahead and shut Skype down. All right. Hello? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Hello.
4: Um, yeah, I can tell you. Got, I can tell you guys are um, you know having a little trouble with the um, with the connections and stuff.
2: Okay. What about now? Can you hear me better now?
4: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I can hear you good.
2: Okay. Um, I can hear you pretty good. These people, man, they know they mistreating people. I understand what you're saying. It's like it's nothing to them. It's nothing to them to mistreat somebody. They're just so sadistic. They're so just, you know, evil. That's the word that we were looking for is they just evil. They, but they know still what they doing is wrong. The, all, it, all it takes is just understanding okay, are you if, what they're, if they don't want what they're doing to other people done to them, then they know it's wrong. I understand what you're talking about. It's like they mistreat people out of habit. It, and it probably is a habit of mistreatment. But they, let's not act like they don't know they mistreating people. They know they mistreating people. They just don't give a damn. Hey, I, you know, and
4: that's what it comes down to. And it's like over the years, over the generations, centuries, they they trick them They're, they they trick their own minds into believing that lie that is not mistreatment and they pass it on to their kids and friends and i think that's why they have them in they are really mentally ill why right? I, I i was listening to um uh, listening to a uh, what to call you could be
2: still mentally ill and still know you mistreating somebody these people know they mistreating somebody uh, if they didn't they wouldn't deny it they wouldn't try to cover it up they wouldn't try to, you know, everything just be out in the open. Sure, hell yeah, we're locking up all these people in, in prisons because they're niggers and we hate niggers and they would just be all out in the open with it. They wouldn't try to hide it. So when you try to hide something, that tells me that, you know, you don't want other people to see because you know it's wrong or they think what you're doing is wrong even if you don't. So they know what they're doing is wrong. Come on now. We know that. You're right.
4: You're right, and I agree with that. I think they try. Like I said, I think they tricked themselves over the years into not believing it until they call out and don't got nowhere else to go. Or maybe that's
2: one of the most. Huh? Or maybe they trying to trick, keep tricking us, not trick us, but keep tricking us into accepting it. Yeah,
4: yeah, but why in the midst of them doing that, and they've been doing it for centuries, tricking, tricking? tricking black people into thinking that racism don't exist and not being racist and, and all these other things. But you see, once you get, and uh, once again, I thank you, brothers, from the bottom of my heart, man, I, I look up to y'all. 37 years old, and I look up to you gentlemen. Because now, even with, I'm still reading, I'm still learning, I'm still studying, but now, I before I would call them out and get angrier or get, and eventually lead to, you know, hands-on, but now, my, 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 my mouth is so wicked that when they come at me, everything, I'm breaking it down, I'm breaking it down. And I'm telling you, I'm, y'all probably experienced it too. The most, one of the most exciting things in the conscious life is watching a racist break down. After you cut off all of the avenues, oh my gosh, man, they come out. You know what? You know And they, and that's how My mom always told me That's how I can tell When you lying, saying Or when you're guilty Because you get loud You get animated And that's exactly What happens So Yeah They use it for logical, logical
2: fallacies
4: fal- Yep <laughs> All this You know They're quick to bring up A lot of them Quick to bring up Christianity And I don't I don't I Although I don't ascribe to it Like I used to Because You know uh, uh, Dr. Browder Has brought me out of that Dr. Browder Has taken me to another place but they, they try to use that. So, you know, when they use it, I don't get upset and I don't try I, I just I don't try to turn it around, I just pull out what they're saying and and put it present it to them in that way. And it's the same thing. it break down. It's like one of the last vestiges. Um and I, I also wanted to comment on um on uh what's new going on with Hillary Clinton. I've been um I've been for a while now. I've been posting on uh, as much as I can uh, on the media sites and talking to as many people as I can about, especially our women. About listen, the reason the reason that you had so many tears in the 90s, so much crying, and you had to pay so much money for two and and send so much money for commissary, the Clintons, the Clintons. And if you if you if that woman wins again, I mean, if that woman wins. Bill Clinton will be back, and you can you can you can uh, 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 take it to the bank that somewhere soon, it's gonna be another law like 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 the crime bill that was passed, and it's gonna be even more blacks who get locked up this time, and and, and well non whites I should say. It's gonna be a hundred
2: times, times worse. worse.
4: Uh, say what else?
2: It'll be a hundred times <laughs> worse.
4: I'm trying to tell you, a hundred times worse because. <laughs> Then I'm hearing about how she's reaching across the aisle to some to, to Republicans and all this. She's just trying to bring it all back again, bring it all back where they're all on. They all be on the same core, anyways. To me, when it comes to how they get and their the money, how the United States makes its money and, and and war propaganda, all that stuff. All Democrats and Republicans are always in cahoots, anyway. but. Is like if she gets in there, it's like if Donald Trump get in there, he gonna he gonna <laughs> rub a lot of people the wrong way, and it's a lot of things. If she get in there, man, people, it's gonna seem like the whole government
2: just for less. If Hillary, look, Donald Trump, I would rather a a four year reality show of Donald Trump. I, I you know what I'm saying, I, I because I, you know, he just ain't gonna go up in there and go butt wild, but. You know, I'm still saying that he's bad. I don't want to see him in there. But Hillary Clinton is 100 times worse. I'm telling you, she will bring death. She will bring you destruction. She will bring you slavery. Mark my words.
4: Yep, I agree, Scotty. I 100, 1,000% agree. And like I said, I thank you, brother, because a few months, well, yes, a month ago, I would not have known that. I would not have known how evil and despicable! I was one of those that got caught up in that crime bill you know what I mean in, in, in the 90s I went 99 99 I went to prison and it was because of the laws the uh, the uh, uh, selling drugs or whatever possession of drugs within a thousand feet of a school zone or a government property or all that three years minimum mandatory no nothing about trial or anything three years and then we could talk about everything after that so I was one of, I, I got caught up in that and um, you know, like I said, I'm just talking to every anybody I see, even even white people. Anybody I see, I'm, I'm telling them, hey man, vote Bernie. I am not all for Bernie, but I'm definitely not for Hillary, and I don't want to see Trump in And I think head to head, Bernie Bernie could beat could beat Trump. I think I don't know for sure. Um, well,
2: yeah, man, I just. Y- uh-huh. And Sanders is the only one and of course like all politicians he got his warts but he's the yeah. only one who is a part of a coalition of progressives in Congress that actually introduced an abolitionist bill you know abolish twi- uh, private prisons and jails as we were talking about uh, with Reverend Rivera who was saying the geo group shouldn't even exist
4: mhm mhm and I I um I was listening to him speak about some. No, I was listening to you, uh, whether you or somebody else, talk about him. And um, I think that's who I'm a, I, I, you know what? I'm not going to vote. I, I'm, I I tell you that I'm not voting for that reason. You know, like Michael said, you don't got nobody to vote. Don't vote. You got nobody to vote for
1: well, you can vote to well, yourself. there you go. I suggested today that Bernie Sanders picked Michelle
2: Alexander as his VP. Hey write my name in, man. Go to, go to the polls, man, and write Scotty Reed in there. I'll take the job. <laughs> no. Ain't right, no Scotty. You gonna start a movement now. Hey, but seriously though, hey, Scottie, seriously, Scottie. man. That's how you get in the jury pool. Um that is how, if you are, are registered to vote, then, you know, you qualify to be on the jury pool. They don't want us on the jury pool as uh, the stories we've read. So even if you don't vote, you know, that's a reason to register to vote, just to get in the jury pool, man. You know, just doing any, anything we can to resist the system on any level, resist slavery on any level. We could prevent one slave from going in. Uh, by us being on a jury and voting not guilty on a non-violent victimless so-called drug crime then you know we, we have really done something man we've really done something so um, I but I encourage you to vote man you know if you got third party uh, you're in Florida I don't know the Green Party in Florida I mean what anybody challenging them well, well
4: actually what I did was I joined um I joined uh, 1 million conscious black voters and contributors, and I, uh, I, uh, whatchamacallit, I sent them my paper to have my, my party affiliation changed to no affiliation, because I was, of, right. course, of course, I was a Democrat, of, of course. So, but I, I just did that, and, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm waiting on it. Well, I guess they they don't send you anything back, they just change it for you.
2: I mean, even going for you going to vote since you are part of, uh, uh, I am one of the million dot com is the website for the movement um one million conscious black voters and contributors if you're part of that movement a reason for you to vote is just your voting record the record showing that you are a vote and you know we're trying to build that up as a black voting block uh, a lobbying entity to where where we get enough uh people affiliated with the movement um all over the nation to where then they'll be coming to us like they go to APAC down there in Florida. You know about APAC down there in Florida where these presidential candidates go down there and tell them how much welfare they're going to deliver to Israel. So, you know, that's the reason right, right there just for building future political clout as part of that uh, one million black voter uh, movement. I, I, I agree. Does that make sense, I bro? I ain't trying to talk you into doing something that you don't want to do, but I'm just trying to, you know, offer up some some things you may not have considered. Well,
4: I I um I I, I read the, the the planks, you know what I mean, and I just I think that's the the right movement for us. I, you know just like you were saying with Apex, you know, with numbers move everything on this earth. With numbers, you move. Or you make decisions. People don't want to don't want to do it, but they forced to do it because you got numbers. And I just from from day one when I heard uh, uh, Professor Clinton speak about it, I mean, uh, 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 Mr. Fico um, speak about it, it just it all it just made sense. And that was before I I knew that they planned it when they came back from the Million Man March. I I didn't even know that at first. And I, you know, I heard that, and that was, I've been all in with it ever since. But um, you, 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 you fellas, man, I, I wanted to speak to y'all as well about um, I've been, I'm trying to get more into the movement. I'm really bellyaching right now. I'm trying to get more into the movement and do more things, but at my time, I'm trying to enjoy myself because my job calls for so much of my attention, and my, I, I got seven kids, you know what I mean, and a grandchild, so it called for my attention, so. I'm kind of I'm I'm split, but man, I'm I'm I really really want. my thing I talked to you before, Scotty, about a media part, about being becoming part of a media project. I just I wanted to do more, and I, I know I am, so I'm patient right now. But I'm just I I I, I want to do more, man. I want to be more involved in just talking to people and you know, past not flyers and posting stuff. So, and I know I am. I just want to. I just want to thank you guys. I gotta run. I gotta run and grab something from the kids. Speaking on the cook. Uh,
2: okay. All right. Well, stay in touch, bro. Stay in touch. Shoot me an email.
4: I am man. I, I get some time to myself right now. And cook something. Them sit down, man, and, and, and write to their emails. Send out my information and stuff, and you know, try and, and, and to go from there.
2: All right. Peace to you.
4: All right. And peace to y'all, brothers. Too. Stay up. Scotty, can you hear me?
2: Yes, go ahead, Max. Oh,
1: okay. All right, indeed, man. we a little bit. Short I identified
2: time. the problem, man. It's on my end. Um, uh, it's like it's like my audio uh controls have a mind of their own and are you know taking the volume down on some of the mics. So, um, that's the issue. It wasn't you. It's not Skype. It's not. It's something buggy going on with this computer. So I'll resolve it later. So I identified okay. the problem.
1: All right, no problem. Uh, I appreciate the caller uh, coming in and, and, and inspiring us as you did. Uh, and I know if you feel like you want to do more, uh, that should be an everyday feeling. Like right? you could always do more. That's the feeling that we all have. Like no matter what we're doing, we can always do more, and we want to do more. Uh, it's hard not to feel that way when you start understanding the depth and the length and the. the the seriousness of the issues that we face as a people as a whole, because this doesn't affect just the guy down the street It affects us all every single day. But I know
2: we also have to be careful that we keep balancing our lives too, man. I mean, there's just so much to do that needs to be done. Number one on the list is ending slavery. And so I, I always feel like I'm not doing enough. You know what I'm saying? and 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 you know or I could do more and and then you know when I had this health issue that just was like a smack in the face no man you can't do everything you know what I'm saying and and you need to you know identify younger uh people um you know and mentor them and support them and let them get out there and and be, you know, seen, uh, identified as the leaders of the movement and and what have you. But we have to have balance, man, because if we, over like you called in, you know, today saying you was burnt out, man, you know what I'm saying? And so we had to be mm-hmm. careful that we don't. Burn burnout. Sometimes it's that's just that's just um you can't avoid getting burned out. You know, some people, you know, that's just the nature of their job or the nature of their personality. They go hard at everything, but you know, once you reach that point, you know you get burning out, man. You have to do whatever's necessary to rejuvenate yourself so you don't, you know, destroy for me, yourself.
1: Mainly the burnout comes from our own life situations. As you and the listeners know, for the past couple of years, we've been going through some serious trials and tribulations, right. including acts of God and my wife having a stroke and being paralyzed and being uprooted from our home, having our home stolen. And then being put in a position where our family's in danger, it's just so many things one after the other it's it's it can be overwhelming sometimes, you know, <laughs> so it's not the fight so much, but the conditions of the fight that I had to exist under while we're doing this,
2: right. I know we kind of got off uh script tonight, and that's great, man. Love hearing from the callers um the technical issues really threw us off, so Oh uh, man, um that just really threw me behind <laughs> on some work cuz my uh night still ain't over. We got Lotus place coming up and I'm behind on 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 that right there. So, but it's always great, man, but we may have to skip a couple of segments. Did you want to go into our yeah. rider of the 21st uh century um um rail underground railroad? Plan, yeah. Would you go into that I, while I, I try to of mention- it? There are
1: two stories that we won't be able to cover. I just want to mention them. One is a story out of Massachusetts where people who are fighting for prisoner rights within the prisons, because, you know, we're doing this in tandem right now, are being subject to persecution. And uh, we need to get their stories out. So go to New Abolitionist Radio and share the story regarding the Massachusetts prisoners there who are fighting for their rights. And the other one uh, was... A story that is also on the new abolitionist page now where federal defendants avoid prisons because of collateral consequences. That story is well worth reading. It has major applications further on. So take a look at that. Our writer of the 21st century underground railroad, which we'll be uh, speaking on during this segment now, comes out of the innocence project who is a huge uh, source of freeing people from these prisons who have been unjustly incarcerated and it's regarding a Virginia man who narrowly escaped the death penalty Exonerated by DNA evidence to be released after serving 33 whole years And it uh, says here, Richmond, Virginia, April 8, 2016 After the Virginia Supreme Court granted a writ of actual innocence to Keith Allen Howard On Thursday, Howard is expected to walk out of a Virginia prison a free man today After wrongly serving more than 33 years of a life sentence for rape and murder he did not commit. Man, just saying those words, it's like, oh. Howard, who narrowly escaped the death penalty, was convicted primarily on the testimony of two forsonics, dentists who said that Howard's teeth matched marks left on the rape victim. During the course of his prosecution, six forensics dentists falsely claimed that Howard's teeth matched the bite mark of one of the victims. New DNA evidence definitively proved Howard's innocence and pointed to Jerry Cody as the real assailant. Mr. Howard is at least the 25th person to have been wrongly convicted or indicted based on discredited bite mark evidence, said Chris Fabricant, Director of Strategic Litigation for the Innocence Project, which is affiliated with Cardozo School of Law. We have no idea. How many other people have been wrongfully convicted based on this evidence? But any conviction resting on this grossly unreliable technique is inherently flawed. Every state in the nation should be conducting reviews to see if there are others like Mr. Howard sitting in prison for crimes they didn't commit. Moreover, this technique is still used in our justice system, including current capital prosecutions, presents a public safety threat. Peter Newfeld, co-director of the Innocence Project, added, unless and until our leaders in Washington take action to discourage the use of unreliable and unvalidated techniques such as bite marks and instead create rigorous science-based standards for all forensics, we are doomed as a nation to endure hundreds more like Howard's. Well, Mr. Howard's was released from the Virginia prison after 33 years, and we here at New Abolitionist Radio salute you, brother. Welcome. Welcome to freedom.
2: I mean, there's not even a question of if there are any other prisoners. That's not even a question. You know there are. <laughs> right. This was the same thing we found out with the
1: hair forensics, that they found out that 95% of all the hair forensics was also inherently flawed. So, you know, there's just hundreds of people sitting in prisons, being accused of things like rape, child molestation, murder, anything you can imagine, who have never done anything. There you have it, man. Well, that covers our rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad. Our next segment will be our abolitionists in profile. Uh, Scotty Reed, would you like to cover that one?
2: Um. Actually, if you could, Max, cause like I said, um, those technical okay. issues threw me off, and I, I'm, you know, engaged in production work for the next program. Sorry, man. Okay. Well,
1: let me know when you got your music
2: going, and I'll get started. Okay. Let me try. I will try this one right here. Okay. Today's abolitionist in
1: profile is Stephen Smith, 1795 to 1873. Stephen Smith was born into slavery in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania at 21. He purchased his pre- freedom for $50 and soon afterwards began to ally with the abolitionist cause that he would support through most of his adult life. In 1830, Smith became chairman of the African American Abolitionist Organization in Columbia, Pennsylvania while developing a successful lumber business. The Columbia Spy reported that in 18. 18- Thirty-five. His success excited the envy or hatred of those not so prosperous and of the ruling race. In that year, unknown persons vandalized his office and destroyed his papers, records, and books. Shortly after the incident, Smith moved to Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, where he again entered the lumber business and after a few years regained his prosperity. The Columbia incident and the general prejudice against Northern blacks inspired Smith to redouble his efforts to abolish slavery throughout the nation, which he and other abolitionists of the time considered the source of anti-Black prejudice and violence. Oh, I got to read that again. (laughs) The Columbia incident and the general prejudice against Northern blacks inspired Smith to redouble his efforts to abolish slavery throughout the nation, which he and other abolitionists of the time considered the source of anti-black prejudice and violence. And the abolitionists grew in the Philadelphia area in the 1830s. However, so did the opposition. When abolitionists found it difficult to secure a building to hold their meetings, Smith acquired Pennsylvania Hall for their use. It was unclear if Smith purchased the hall once it was built or if he constructed it and lent it to the abolitionist organizations in Philadelphia. In any event, an anti-abolitionist mob burned the hall on July 17, 1838. Ironically, Smith, taking advantage of a little-known Pennsylvania statute that held a municipality liable for damage to property sustained by mob action, sued the city of Philadelphia and recovered $75,000 in damages, which exceeded the building's value. At the time of its destruction Smith continued his abolitionist Activities until the passage of the Fugitive Slave Act in 1850 Persuaded him And a business partner William Whipper along with about 15,000 other African Americans To move to Canada After the Civil War Smith returned To Philadelphia and continued to speak out For African American civil rights In 1868 Letter to the Columbia Spy: A white Philadelphian expressed his support for of African Americans' right to suffrage, and used as his example the exemplary life of fellow Philadelphian Stephen Smith, whose wealth was almost equal to the combined wealth of the entire democracy of Columbia. Smith died in 1873, and we here at New Abolitionist Radio salute you, brother Stephen Smith.
2: Um, wow. so, um, see nothing new under the sun, nothing new under the sun now, prior right. to you reading that, and I did not even read that max i i and you asked me to read it i' I'm, you know, I'm trying to do this stuff behind the scene, but what was mm-hmm. I saying earlier in the program, and I've been saying over the past couple of weeks about slavery. Being the main disease, and racism and white supremacy being a symptom of that disease. So here we have some elders, ancestors back in when when was when was he running around in the seventeen hundreds 1830 1830,
0: in
1: 1830 He was
2: saying that that he considered slavery to be the number one cause of anti-blackness.
1: Yep. Uh, exactly, Scotty. See, the truth tells itself. Once you start looking for it, we all come to the same conclusions because the truth tells itself. It's not like you have to be getting all off on tangents all over the place. You'll go to a direct uh, point when you follow the truth every time. And they know like we know that this is the source. Another thing that kind of uh, stood out for me was when they said he was so rich that his wealth was equal to the combined wealth of the entire democracy of Colombia. Wow.
2: Oh, so this wasn't no black dude. This was a white dude, a European?
1: This was a black man. man. Oh, okay. He he was born a slave. Wow. And purchased his freedom for $50 and became that wealthy and used his entire fortune and his efforts for the abolitionist
2: movement. To end slavery. Yes, sir. Damn. I, I found uh, a new hero to add to my list. I gotta put him up there next to Frederick Douglass and and uh Malcolm X and Robert F. Williams and, and you know, because I mean um I mean he just confirmed, you know what I'm saying? I, I, we gotta be thinking alike or something to come to that conclusion, you know, the same conclusion. And I suspect there's others who have come to that conclusion
1: there you go man well big shout out to this brother um indeed he's worthy of uh emulation for real we're coming to the end of our program and we got a couple minutes left for our final statements of the evening our final comments uh scotty i guess you want to lead, lead the way for tonight um
2: most certainly want to give uh thanks to brother uh kwabana um He'll be with Brother Kwabina Rasuli of the, uh, Clear the Airways Project for connecting us with, with Reverend Rivera, um, and, you know, who came on and shared, um, the, uh, efforts that, um, the community that she is a part of have been waging against slavery. Again, Max, we was having these issues, technical issues, and you couldn't hear her. And, but I mean, man, she, Sam, use same language like, you know, we use she's qualified to be a co-host of New Abolitionist Radio for real with the language that Water. she was using and you'll find that on the other side. And you know, it is very important for the church to rediscover its historic roots in abolitionism. All right, cause, cause for too long now um the church has believed like the rest of us that slavery was abolished. And they haven't been fighting against it because it's hard to fight against something that you don't even acknowledge exists, and so we just like she said, we just gotta keep fighting to um you know uh bring this to the forefront of people people's minds to let them know it does exist and it's not gonna end itself so I'm just so encouraged um just so motivated um a great morale booster in hearing. Um, her share uh, their efforts in winning that battle in this long war to end slavery
1: indeed I'd like to say the same thing thank you to our host thank you to our guests who called in uh, Reverend Rivera and also to the caller who called in and for those that tune in every week and just tuned in today pardon the technical difficulties but we certainly are trying our best to make a difference in our world using our combined efforts and we appreciate you uh, patronizing us here Uh, I'm going to uh, end it real simply Just by reading a quote And it says Something I wrote earlier It says when negotiating with Your oppressor When negotiating your oppression With your oppressor What do you hope to gain Just by deferring to their authority You have already ceded anything that matters See You should know like we know Abolition is a reason for revolution So we can finally know some peace Rise up, rise up, rise
0: up, rise
4: up, rise up, rise
0: up, rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up, Just lift your eyes up, let your eyes rise up, see the signs of the times. If it's time, rise up, rise up, when death and hell dwell among all God's people. When those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil. When the feast that feeds you. Yards are father's children when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top.